Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome back to the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager here at Second City Hockey. You can find me on Twitter at dmelt57. And I got to apologize right up front. I'm sorry if my voice sounds a little nasally now or in some of the other segments. I've been fighting off this weird, like, cough, cold, whatever it is. And I've had a pair of COVID tests, so it's not that. But we're just going to call it a mild upper body injury. Still playable, uh, still something we can work through, but something that's just going to be annoying for me probably for the rest of the week, but hopefully doesn't annoy you guys too much. Uh, anyway, our, our five or six loyal listeners may remember that in the last couple of summers, we've done this thing called the Friday Show, where we bring in a guest that is in or adjacent to the hockey world for some lengthier discussions. And with most of the hockey world at their lake houses for the rest of the summer, it felt like a good time to do that again. So we're bringing back the Friday show probably for all of August and all of September. Uh, Today, the guest is Brett Ballantini. He's the editor-in-chief at our SB Nation sibling site, Southside Sox. Those with really good memories may recall that Ballantini was actually the Blackhawks beat reporter during the 09-10 Cup season for what was then Comcast Sports Chicago. Uh, He's on the baseball scene now, and I, I thought he'd be really cool to talk to given his obvious ties to hockey, but also because the Blackhawks are kind of in the same position now that the White Sox were in about five years ago, which is at the start of a rebuild. Uh, White Sox fans can tell you all about the last five years of a rebuild, and we're not going to talk about what's going on now because sometimes it's been too depressing. But anyway, uh, we talked with Brett about what the teardown process was like, uh, just how he endured that long, long process of the, the two or three years when what was happening on the field is just not interesting at all. And uh, then we landed on a bunch of parallels between the White Sox rebuild and the Blackhawks rebuild that I think you're going to find pretty interesting. And I wanted to mention that specifically for all the Cubs fans out there who are listening to this. Um, I didn't talk to the White Sox guy. I am a White Sox fan. It's not an anti-Cubs thing. It's just I think there's more overlaps between the Blackhawks and the White Sox rebuilds than the Blackhawks and the Cubs rebuilds. And we get into a few of those reasons why I think those overlaps exist during the show. Uh, So thanks to Brett for hanging out. Thanks to you very much for listening. And stay tuned to these airways because we're going to have some more guests to help pass through these doldrums of the hockey offseason as we get going through the rest of the summer. It works out best for everyone, man. 
But yes, Brett Valentini from Southside Sox is here joining us on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, how's everything going on your end of the Chicago sports media spectrum? Excellent, Dave. Uh, you know, this is the podcast I dreamed of being on when there wasn't a podcast 13 years ago, uh, <laughs> but I finally made it. I finally I finally cracked into this uh, second city hockey. Well, I'm, I'm glad we could get you aboard uh, 13 years later because I, <laughs> I'm ashamed for myself that I didn't know this. And maybe some other Blackhawks fans who've been around for a while remember that you were the beat reporter for the Blackhawks for what was then Comcast Sports Chicago mm-hmm. in the during the 09-10 season, which was obviously a pretty good year for Blackhawks fans. Uh, I guess the main thing I'll ask you just because we're going to be talking a lot about stuff that happened in the past uh, throughout this recording. But uh, what is there anything that stands out from uh, that season? Is there a particular story or game or anything that uh, is something you always tell people about from that year? Well, certainly a couple things. Uh, just by being a second from hitting uh, send on the story of the loss at home against Nashville, uh, which was going <laughs> to okay. basically take uh, the Blackhawks essentially out of the playoffs and being a second away from that. And then suddenly the uh, the lamp lights and everything changes. And it was another, mm-hmm. you know, uh, six weeks or two months. I mean, it just created an, uh, this, you know, incredible odyssey and this amazing thing I got to be part of breaking a 49 year streak. And then um, I guess the other thing that really jumps out is I uh, getting to be on the ice, of course, in, in Philadelphia, even though uh, Comcast, despite the fact that the Philadelphia, I don't know what it's called now, the Philadelphia arena was owned by and named for Comcast. Yeah. Somehow the beat reporter from Chicago could not even get like a legitimate <laughs> press row seat. So I was in like the oh, owls, wow. uh, but that did get me on the ice quicker. And, and interestingly enough, sort of the guy that I first worked with, Adam Kempernar at the Blackhawks, uh, okay. who sort of got me into um, the game program writing in the first place and played a pretty pivotal role in me being able to get the job and, and, and work the beat with Comcast, you know, turned out to be like standing right in front of me, just waiting to get on the ice after the initial celebration as well. So it was sort of an interesting full circle moment for me, you know, as we're able to say, okay, you know, a, a year ago, I started this a few years back, you know, I like drove up with my wife to see Brian Campbell up in London to do like my first big piece for the magazine, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, sort of, it was fun to be able to sort of go on the ice with him and say like, you know, you're sort of the guy who got me into this in the first place. And now we're going to celebrate this cup is just unbelievably, uh, phenomenal. So those are a couple of things that, uh, that stand out about that, uh, wonderful, wonderful, crazy year. It's uh, it's the Wells Fargo Center now, so maybe if you're uh, depending on who you do your banking with, maybe you can. So if I want that same <laughs> terrible spot in the yeah. bowels, close to the toilet, uh, yeah. I just have to become a, a bank teller. Awesome. Okay, I'll, okay. I'll file yeah. that away. Yeah, we're we're also like I obviously they won that game, but it's one of the quirky Blackhawk statistics that they haven't won a regular season game in the city of Philadelphia since I think 1996. So so Something you're saying like that? It, yeah. it might it might be partially my fault is what you're saying. I maybe I don't know. Well, or it could be my fault too because I've been around here for 5 years so. <laughs> it's it's someone's fault. Uh but we we haven't we've come to talk about the past a little bit, which is why we've got you here this evening, but it's more about uh the more recent past involving the Black or excuse me, involving the White Sox since a team you've been writing about for several years now because uh the Blackhawks are embarking on what the White Sox I don't want to say finished doing, but started doing five or six years ago uh, when the White Sox famously or maybe infamously tore down their entire team and then try and put together the team you're seeing now that's scuffling around 500 and didn't do anything at the trade deadline. And we don't want to turn this into a White Sox podcast, but um, I, I guess where I'd want to start with all this is just 
Do what do you remember about that? I believe it was a 2016 season when everything started trending south for that group of players because there was a pretty talented squad there. Um, like they had Chris Sale, they had uh, Adam Eaton were the two biggest names that got the two biggest returns in trades. But what do you remember about that season in particular that kind of indicated that's the direction the team was going or that it might be uh, an option for the team at the end of the season? Yeah, you had the newer the newer regime, I guess, of Rick Hahn taking over. He'd been in charge for, I think, officially as GM three, four years at that point, even though Ken yeah. Williams is still involved with the team. You know, sort of a little bit more of a ceremonial handing over. But Rick Hahn was the guy who was, I guess, supposed to be able to call the shots. And mm-hmm. from that brain trust, you know, the team had always resisted any sort of real teardown. And let's let's face it, in baseball at least, that hadn't been a trendy thing, you know, but for maybe a few years earlier, you know, Houston had sort of uh, really, really bottomed out with uh, a succession of uh, 100 lost seasons. Uh, the Cubs had, had had done it as well. This sort mm-hmm. of intentional tanking sort of mentality, um, though I'm sure it's existed in sports forever, uh, wasn't you know maybe as like Moneyball trendy as uh, mm-hmm. it had become. And I think the fact that that 2016 team had started out pretty well again was was uh, was built to compete. Even though, again, it's always sort of a half-hearted, uh, you know, I guess the White Sox, so it's somewhat half-hearted <laughs> right. in terms of, you know, the attack that they have. They had pieces in place. They started out well, uh, enough winning fumes to make you think, well, okay, m- maybe this is possible. And again, you know, quirkier teams had gone, you know, farther than the White Sox could have done that year. Uh, and then, you know, of course, things, as you say, turned south. And I think at that point when it just didn't work again, when the White Sox sort of pushed up to the edge, put some money, you know, again, not half-heartedly, but half half smartly, you know, put money into the team. And again, it just mm-hmm. sort of failed. Even in a right. five-team division, they managed to not, you know, finish ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think finally by the end of that season, it was, okay, um, you know, listen, let we're going to do it a different way. And I think it probably did take Rick Hahn a, a ton of convincing. Ken Williams is not naturally a guy who embraces that kind of thinking. He'll just desperately go, he'll go down clawing and scratching. Uh, he would take right. probably a succession of 2016 type seasons just to say, okay, we started the season, we started the season with a chance. Uh, the idea that you were going into seasons in 2017, 18, 19 with knowing you had no chance is just not the way. Yeah, even the White Sox have traditionally operated. We can make fun of them a lot, but until really the rebuild was like embraced on the South side, the White Sox are traditionally a competitive team. Now, granted, 500, you don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back uh, over, yeah. but there's still something to be said. It's not a hundred loss season. So I think finally Rick Kahn was able to say, listen, let's just, this isn't working. Let's try a different direction. That direction was just, you know, rip the team to shreds. Coincidentally, um, probably something that may have actually you know, prompted that a bit was uh, was uh, Chris Sale. Uh, taking the knife uh, to the yes. arms. I was uh, just about and, to bring that up. Yeah, you know, maybe not. I mean, obviously, you're not going to overreact to that, but at the same mm-hmm. time, what does that tell you about uh, the guy mm-hmm. who is going to be the leader of? I mean, that's not Mark Burley. Uh, mm-hmm. He's the leader of your pitching staff. Um, that sort of defiance, that sort of mm, really disrespect. I think, particularly of Ken Williams. Yeah. I think that you know, again, that did not start a rebuild, but it it, it didn't slow it. You know. Yeah, I think in, I think that incident with Chris Sale made it more palatable to fans when they traded him away. Yeah. Uh, in much of the opposite way that like uh, like the Chris Sale trade was kind of the flashpoint of okay, this is what we're doing now. I think what the Blackhawks the trade was when they sent Alex to bring it away, but Alex to bring it didn't cut up uh, jerseys and in, in the right. locker room one day. He was <laughs> like billed as the future captain. Right. And he, he was only twenty four, I think, when they traded him. So circumstances are certainly different there, but I think there's 
a comparison there that Sale and Debrinket were the signs of, okay, we're, we're blowing this whole thing up. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess because of the different reactions between or the different moods around the fan bases, I, I, I don't remember the immediate reaction to White Sox fans being as hostile as it was when the Blackhawks traded to bring it. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, you, are your thoughts the same? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the White Sox fans, uh, again, I think the trendiness of the, t- the tanking, I think there are enough fans, you know, the ones who might, you know, they might call themselves the smart ones or, you know, whatever, there's no right way to do this. Right. Uh, you know, they'd say, oh yeah, they should have been, they should have done this, you know, 20 years ago. They should have done this five years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there was a lot of immediate embrace of saying, okay, it's about time. This is how you (laughs) win in baseball today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, the traditionalists and probably the balance of fans are still, you got to be uneasy about that. Um, You know, folks weren't peering ahead and realizing, you know, another thing that makes the sale trade, you know, palatable, which, you know, sort of kicked it off or certainly the main piece uh, to to leave the White Sox is that, you know, he was a guy who was signed, you know, signed uh, a, a long-term deal uh, with, you know, the, uh, the White Sox still had control over him. You know, they gave him some money. The White Sox, this is the way a lot of teams operate. Certainly the White Sox, you try to uh, pinch the pennies, squeeze them very tightly together. Uh, you know, I'm going to try and give you that under market. Say, hey, we're giving you some security, but, you know, we're not going to give you market pay. And Sale right. was, you know, privately fuming over the fact he's a, a perennial Cy Young candidate. Uh, who was being grossly underpaid. He was not going to stay once he hit free agency. So they, the clock was running. I think it was a year and a half they had left of him anyhow, or two years left with him anyhow. And and a smarter fan might realize, okay, well, hey, this guy was going to leave anyhow. This was a yeah. way to get a pretty enormous uh, return. So I think there was, um, if not embrace, it was certainly at least a, a little bit closer to a 50-50 and not just you know the outrage. Obviously, there's a there's sort of a, moment, a momentum with the Blackhawks now where it's like, man, you, you, I mean, you can flip a coin and maybe just not have it come down right for, for fans for good reason. And, and right. certainly the White Sox weren't in that position at that point. And I think also it's just the return that the White Sox got in the sale trade. They got Mankata and who else? Did they, got? they got two or three of like the top 15, 20 prospects in all of baseball at the time where the Blackhawks yeah, uh, got like lottery picks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, getting Michael Kopech, you know, who was Kopech, uh, that's just a right. killer, killer arm, although again, he had proven to have a head perhaps similar to Sale at that point because he already had gotten to locker room fracases yeah. and such, and he wasn't even in the majors yet. And then a former number one prospect, Nino Mankata. So uh, pulling that type of deal off, uh, yeah, that's going to help it go. I mean, even though it's yeah. like, well, okay, these guys are years off, at least you can say, all right, there's some, some real uh, solid pedigree to the guys who came back who who would project to be uh, better and contribute more than Sale could individually contribute from mm. you know two or yeah, even 10. If you somehow stayed with the White Sox, even yeah. 10 more years, certainly not for two more years. Yeah, I, I think the, I, the 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 conclusion I've drawn is like the, the idea of the Debrinket trade and the Sale trades, I, I get the idea behind them. It's just the execution of the Sale one seemed to be a little bit better of the Debrinket one, but um, that's, that's an argument we've been having for a month already. So I think we're exhausted <laughs> of that. Um, and, uh, going back, you mentioned the Cubs a few times. Cause I, and obviously when the White Sox made their teardown, it was within a month or two after the Cubs had won the world series after they'd completed their rebuild. Now, um, Rick Hahn, uh, I, uh, I can't remember his entire history. I know he did not have the history that Theo Epstein did when he arrived with the Cubs. The Blackhawks general manager is younger than two of the players on the roster. So he might be the next Theo Epstein or he mm-hmm. might be the total opposite of that. We don't know because this is his first general manager job. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the, the the main question I'm getting is it's it's hard to compare. I, I, why I thought the White Sox comparison was better to the Blackhawks state than the Cubs one because the Cubs went and got maybe the best executive in all of baseball. 
to do mm-hmm. their rebuild. And the Blackhawks and White Sox are kind of have an unknown commodity steering this unknown ship. So I, I guess what was there the level of confidence in the White Sox to do the rebuild uh, based from from the front office standpoint? What was the viewpoint from uh, from the fan base on that? Well, and let's not forget, it's just more fun to talk to White Sox people, Dave. I mean, <laughs> well, let's just you know, be honest. I, I, I can't be too mean. My mom's a Cubs fan, so I can't oh. be too slanderous to Cubs fans. <sighs> but right. there there are – yeah, there's I, – I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> yeah, Fair enough. My mom's we can agree on that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, Theo comes in, and I mean, here's the thing. I mean, he literally done the same thing with Boss. I mean, yes, not just exactly. he been successful, but he broke this crazy, you know, crime. It's like he he had experience doing this thing that, you know, he, for doing the impossible. And, you know, yeah. then he pulled it off, which is pretty extraordinary. He just, I mean, as much as I am um, obviously uncomfortable with the topic <laughs> of the Cubs, Dave, uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, come on, you got to tap your uh, tip your cap to, you know, to that, mm-hmm. to that roster and to that, um, you know, that general manager for, for God's sake, that's extraordinary to not just do it once, uh, but twice. So very different with the White Sox, but in the process of, of trying to squeeze in a crack against the Cubs, I have forgotten the original question, which was, well, just what, what, was there any level of confidence in the White Sox organization to skiff, uh, to be able to navigate a rebuild? Because I feel like there's, um, there's, there's segments of the, the fan base is either, <laughs> I don't know, or this is going to be terrible. And this I don't a, remember what the mood in the Ron White Sox this, fans was back in this is a, this is appropriate, particularly, uh, tonight, oh, well, as we're talking, the problem, Dave. the problem is now we're six years <laughs> on the road and we know, yeah. we know there's reasons to not believe it, but I yeah, don't remember because, what the mood was at the time. Yeah. You know, it's come up and you know, it, it's still vocal, which tells you not a lot of folks have changed their mind. And yeah, I think at mm-hmm. the time, although, you know, I think there was a, a segment, I mean, I don't want to keep just saying 50, 50, that really sounds like I'm punting every question here, but you know, it, it was not one way or the other where people said, Oh, these guys just can't do it. Ken Williams had an, a pretty extraordinary general manager tenure. He caught a lot of flack for a guy who I think had one season as general manager out of uh, 12 or 13 substantially uh, uh, worse than 500. So this mm-hmm. is a guy who put competitive teams out there, of course, uh, piloted the or general managed the team to a, you know, a title for the first time. Uh, what was that? Eight years. Oh, so many <laughs> streaks broken yeah. on, on yeah. my 10 years. Um, but uh, so, but I think there was definitely healthy skepticism. Wait, this is just, this is just something a more, but this is personnel from the family tree. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Hahn had oh, dated boy, back um, into the, you know, into the 2000s with Ken Williams and had done a lot of great work. He was their um, contract negotiator. Um, I believe he was working in personnel enough to uh, be able to earmark some players to keep an eye on. They ended up contributing to the White Sox. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do that as the general manager. But uh, I think there was skepticism, as any fan base should have. It's like, well, wait, okay, you're doing a rebuild, but everything's staying the same. I mean, okay, you don't change ownerships, perhaps, but you yeah. Know, Manager might stay the same. Uh, all the GM, all the people in charge are staying the same. Uh, certainly, I don't think it took particularly cynical fans to say, hey, wait a minute. This is not the way the other ones work. The other ones work like, okay, you're cleaning house. Everybody's mm-hmm. stuff is put in the boxes and left on the curb. And we get new people in to do this, you know, to do this rebuild and lose 8,000 games in a few seasons. But there's, you know, there's a new plan and a new direction. The idea that right. Rick Hahn was allowed to steer that uh, is, of course, peculiar uh, just in the in the face of you know just up against the face of sports, uh, but of course anybody who knows the White Sox, it's absolutely not peculiar, and that's the only <laughs> way they were going to do it. And you know, like you say, six years down, or you know, looking yeah. back now, I mean, it's a topic on a trade deadline, you know, day like today, where 
you know, nothing happened. It just makes people tear their hair out saying, why is this guy still in control of the team given the resume just keeps getting worse? Yeah. Well, and again, I think that's where the where the overlap between Blackhawks and White Sox comes in so much because Kyle Davidson, the Hawks general manager now, has worked in the organization for the last 10 years under the last GM who was only fired because of a horrific scandal that came out from 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of the same names in the scouting department, in the player development department. Um, they they brought back the interim head coach from last season as an assistant head coach. So there's for those who want to be cynical and skeptical, there is just cause that the Blackhawks are going to be doing the same thing, just like the White Sox didn't really clean house organizationally. And the White Sox didn't have an off ice or off field scandal that would have um, hmm. pre- uh, led to yeah. a, a White House cleaning as well. Shh. Sure. Yeah. Thank goodness. You wouldn't wish that on any franchise, whether you like them or not, frankly. But uh, yeah, that's just it. It's like, okay, same people, you know, literally, Mm -hmm. obviously, Ken Williams is still involved. And and, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But in terms of, okay, this is different. It's a rebuild. This is a new era with the White Sox. Well, no, of course not. Because every Mm -hmm. every person, the person signing the checks, the person making the decision to hire people, they're all the same. Yeah, and and when like the, with the Blackhawks not having won much of anything for the last five years, they only made the playoffs because the pandemic uh, expanded the playoff season or at the play the playoff field one time. Like you, you just you you look at the I keep the more I keep looking at these two things, it's like I'm alarmed at how similar the situations are because Thanks. of of like you know I I got one White Sox playoff victory. I got to be at Game Three last year with the Lurie Garcia home run mm-hmm. and everything, but I need the Hawks to win more than one playoff game at the end of this rebuild. Yeah, it's it's a scarier parallel than you think. Uh, the mm-hmm. White Sox made the playoffs, and now they're you know they get to they get to trumpet that they've they've for the first time in 120 years of franchise history they've been in the playoffs back to back seasons. Well, it was handed to you in 2020. Uh, granted, they were a very good yeah. team in 2020, mm-hmm. but it expanded expanded playoff um, you know circumstances. So yeah, the, the Sox broke their 12 year uh, uh, playoff free streak with, you know, sort of somewhat of a consolation prize. And obviously that season, they sort of backed into the playoffs and and Mm -hmm. got flushed out really quickly too. So yeah, uh, yeah, parallels are scary. Sorry to be providing (laughs) a vision of your future. I mean, again, I I know with, you know, the White Sox, like this isn't the last year of it. There's supposed to be a few more years down the road. It's just the the present is a little unsettling, I guess. Um, But so going back, so after the White Sox blew everything up and traded everything away, those 17 and 18 teams in particular, I think it was 19 when more of the guys started arriving. But just how did you watch that team for two years when it was so obvious how many of these guys are just here because we have to put a team on the field to play 162 games? It's very it was very alien to me. Younger fans might feel different because they just, you know, the they don't stretch back to even see, I mean, playoffs haven't been frequent, but you know, I've been able yeah. to experience, I don't know, playoff games in five different seasons in Chicago or whatever, something like that. I mean, you know, I, I stretch back to Southside Hitman as a fan. Um, and I am used to the team again, not to throw my chest out too much and say like, it's some sort of like, you know, commitment to excellence thing that the White Sox got going, but you know, they're usually a competitive team. The idea yeah. that this is the first time in my knowledge, you know, maybe accepting the, the, at least in my lifetime, accepting maybe the Vec years when you just didn't have any money to put a field and put, put a, a team on the field. The team's been largely competitive or it was just coming around the corner. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that this was going to be this voluntary, you know, just jettisoning where you're almost, you know, you're jettisoning, jettisoning any hope of 
you know, competitiveness. You almost want to not be competitive. Yeah. I mean, nobody's yeah. going to come out and say it, but you know, it's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. this crossing your finger behind your back thing when you're talking about how angry you are over a 10 game losing streak. Uh, and you know, um, you know, I mean, another parallel here, parallel here. I mean, I came on, uh, to, to do Southside Sox in 2018. So right smack in the middle of the ugliness. And that was of yeah. course at a time I've got a, a lovely, wonderful, terrific family of a team now of like 800 writers. But I mean, then it was like, it was a skeleton crew. It was a transitional <laughs> crew. And so that meant yeah, tons of that work was going to fall on my shoulders. And mm-hmm. so I got up on close and personal watching every game of really what was horrendous baseball. I would never have watched as I, if I was not doing this job, I would not probably watch any of it. I'm not such a diehard fan that I just have to see yeah. how they're doing. And I also don't want to hate watch either to say, Oh my God, 17 to one, this is horrible. Um, you know, I'm going to go write a blog about it. No, I yeah. want to stay away from that. I don't want to go see a bad movie. I don't want to see a bad <laughs> baseball game. So uh, you know, I think fans, because this was like a process, I think fans were willing to have some patience. And I don't think the White Sox necessarily, you know, tried that patience, you know, given, okay, mm-hmm. 2017, rough, but intentionally rough. 2018, rough, intentionally rough. You've got uh, Ricky Renneria as the guy who's sort of this uh, Pied Piper. It's a young team. So, you know, there's sort of some leadership there. There's some family there, even though, my God, the results are just horrible, uh, you know. But yeah, by 2019, you're starting to see a little bit of a turn. And then, I mean, right. no fan can really get too uppity about that. I mean, we're talking about a three-year transition into a team that might be really ready to compete. And the White Sox, even though ultimately they failed on a lot of their pursuit of a prime talent to supplement whatever homegrown had come in via trades and, and draft, uh, at least the fact that they were engaged in those conversations or the famous Rick Khan seat at the table, which boy, is that, <laughs> is that t-shirt haunting him now? Yeah. Um, you know, at least was something that made fans say, you know, okay, I think, you know, we're taking a step. I used to liken it to like, okay, 60 wins in year one, seventies, uh, year two, eighties, nineties. And then you want to mm-hmm. be like around this time, a lock for the playoffs. I mean, this year has not worked out, but last year played right to the script. If not, was maybe even a little bit uh, more optimistic or, or a little bit more aggressive than you would have expected. Maybe just mm-hmm. crossing to 90 wins. I mean, this year is something else entirely, but in terms of fans patience, I think it proceeded the way it should have. I mean, aside from the craziness of, of a pandemic season, um, I don't think there's a lot of complaints fans can have about, oh, hey, this didn't happen the right way. The results have generally been there, again, until 2022, which is, you know, probably at least partially entirely another podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and I, I think the other thing, going back to the White Sox, like even from the from the year they started, like I believe Tim Anderson debuted in 16 or was it 17? Uh, it wasn't 17. I was at, it was, it, it could have been earlier, okay. but I mean, yeah, he was definitely coming into okay. his own um, as this <laughs> rebuild was uh, getting into full swing. Yeah. Cause it, and then you had him and then you had, you had Jose Abreu. So you, well, I guess, I, I guess maybe there were some expectations that Jose Abreu wasn't still going to be here five years ago. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the Patrick Kane parallel where maybe in five years Kane is somehow still on the team. Um, but I, I guess that's the, the the one thing for the White Sox fans that I remember is um, early on, as even as they lost 100 games, I think, in 18, you still had, you know, Tim Anderson becoming an all-star player. And so you at least had something to watch. And I think it feels like that's the kind of the thing you need is you need you need somebody at the professional level to be good, to give you hope that they are here. And then you need some guys that are down in the minor leagues or college, wherever it is that are just destroying those leagues, mm-hmm. giving you hope that the future is going to be good as well. And it seems like the White Sox had that. At least. 
Yeah, fans, I think, are so forgiving. I mean, you're you're mm. you're you know, you're making a commitment to ally yourself with this team, no matter what has happened. And obviously the Blackhawks are coming out of something, you know, really terrible. But you know, the, the mm. Cubs had, you know, decades of losing to the point where they're lovable losers. The White right. Sox go through this, you know, this sort of like, are they or are they not situation? Fans want to believe. So even if Profet, even if Tim Anderson is is struggling, you know, Tim Anderson just wasn't a it wasn't a skyrocket. Uh, Jose Abreu was pretty much a, a star uh, pre-rebuild and definitely through the hundred right. loss type seasons. Right. Uh, but you, even if you don't have that, if you're tearing it up in the, in the, in the minor leagues, if you're saying, okay, we know it's coming because they've won at every, you know, they, you know, the triple A teams in first place and the double A team, you know, won, won a pennant and there's three great stars at single A. I mean, it doesn't take a lot for you to want to just talk. The White Sox fans are doing it now as the team is, 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 is mediocre as they're a 500 team who might not even make the playoffs. certainly define uh, what the expectations were this year. Fans even now are still as much as there's criticism. They're still, okay, Hey, this guy's lightening up. We didn't expect it from this guy in the minors or, or even at the major league level. Wow. This is a breakout year for this guy. And you're, if you don't have that to hold on to, I mean, and mm. I can't imagine there are many teams where that's been the case where somehow they've just defied it top to bottom. I mean, that's that's a time where, man, maybe you have to just burn the franchise to the ground. There's always <laughs> something yeah. to to you yeah. know to hook yourself to, and certainly the White Sox did have that. Yes, Tim Anderson uh, was finding literally finding his voice, going from the quietest person in baseball to the guy who will just never stop talking and getting into uh, opponents' uh, heads. Jose Abreu, you know, becoming a guy who's going to have a statue, you know, one day uh, inside or outside the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and they had, and then, you know, little breakout seasons here and there, y- young players like, Hey, maybe he can be the next, you know, uh, uh, blank. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't, but there's, there's always that hope in the white Sox. you know, again, even through this relatively short, you know, three-year window of just absolute ugliness and devastation, there was still those things to, to hold on to, to say, okay, there's, there's, you know, there's a plan here. And, you know, of course, then the rains came with, um, Tony Larusa and and in this 2022 <laughs> season. So I mean, but again, that's uh, that's a whole other story. But getting yeah. to the point where this is a competitive team that the fans should have felt, mm. and I still do, I guess, feel fairly optimistic about. Um, you know, was pretty short. You can't really make as much as I want to complain because I had to be up close and personal for so much of it. Uh, you really can't because um, you know it was you know not quite a sneeze, but you know in baseball terms, you know, pr- probably still f- fairly much a sneeze. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for most Blackhawks fans, if you go, you know, the Sox won 17, 18, 19 rebuild, then 20, they were back in the playoffs. I think, like, for the Hawks, like, again, it's 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 so hard to compare the two sports uh, because of the salary cap in hockey, mm-hmm. um, because baseball obviously doesn't have one, although White Sox may have a self-imposed salary cap that <laughs> we're not aware of. <laughs> um, but it's just, like, there's... You know, I think if for most Blackhawks fans, if I told you they were going to have th- two seasons of miserable nothing and then a third season where you started to see pieces come together and then the fourth season they're in the playoffs, like I, I, I would be pretty cool with that. I would have no problem with that. And I feel you're, like most other fans would. You're a tough fan if you're not okay with that. Because yeah, yeah, along with that, it's not hit. just – yeah, it's not just some like freak thing where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. hey, they, they were 500 this year. I mean clearly within that, there's going to be some breakout stars, guys you didn't expect to be stars, guys yeah. who fulfilled the promise that you thought you know, back during those you – know, some controversial trade – did step forward and, and get it done. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, you know, there it's hard to pitch that now because you know, you're at the really dry yeah. end of it, but yeah. uh, you know, it's, it, it's coming. And if it's done close to right, I mean, you could argue the white Sox have, you know, have done it, you know, 
you know, they get a C grade. I don't know, half-assed it. Yeah. Uh, but but that said, okay, there still have been highlights, and there still is, in theory, uh, a competitive window uh, still pretty uh, wide open. A little harder to believe at the moment, but you know, the fact that you know the team is being set up, unlike the way the White Sox had been doing it. And, you know, who knows, maybe in past seasons, the, White, uh, the, the Blackhawks had, had sort of played these games, too, of just trying to stay somewhat relevant without really uh, uh, really committing to the bit, you know, too that's, strongly. That's, that's a pretty good That's a pretty good way. Like, they were mediocre, and then they said they were going to rebuild, and then they went for it, and now mm. one season and we're here. So yeah. It was a very yeah. strange set of you know, Yeah, it's like this weird impatience. Like, you're the people who are paid not to be impatient. Fans are supposed to freak out and say, go, go get this guy. Oh, no, it doesn't fit, you know, budget right now or whatever. We, it's mm. not our plan. Uh, yeah, GMs, owners, you know, coaches, uh, captains of the team aren't, aren't really not supposed to fall for that. And you know, when, when you when you zig and zag like that, it's like, okay, well, who is driving the car? This is a frightening ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not. Uh, we're gonna take a quick timeout and come back. We've got about a few more questions with Brett Ballantini from Southside Sox. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back to the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. Brett Valentini is with us from Southside Sox, where we're talking about the the rebuilds of the White Sox and the Blackhawks. And as uh, we both learned in the first segment, some potentially alarming parallels between the Blackhawks and the White Sox rebuilds. Uh, hopefully they both end better than the White Sox current situation. Um, but the one thing I wanted to talk to you about, Brett, because I, I know you've been around sports uh, and obviously, as we learned earlier, uh, a lot of different sports uh, for a very long time. And th- this whole concept of rebuilding in general, uh, there's an article I've referenced it several times on podcasts. It's pinned to our website, and I, I consider it like, uh, you know, if I, if I died tomorrow, this would be I would want this on my tombstone because it's just it's a rant against against tanking in general and how much I hate that it has invaded sports. And I wish promotion and relegation would be in American sports, but it'll never happen. So I don't even know why we I I don't even want to waste breath on it, but. I, I would just be curious on your thoughts about this whole tanking and rebuild just from a more like sports fan philosophical per- perspective. How do you feel that this is a thing now that is happening in virtually every sport in America? Oh, I hate it. I hate okay. it. hundred percent. I hate it. All right. Uh, there we go. That's I all. hate it. It's uh, it's just, it's wrong. <laughs> it, 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 you know, it sort of defiles the spirit of competition. Um, you know, not to align myself too closely with, say, Ken Williams with the White Sox, but I mean, he's a guy who just he's going to go. He'll 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 die fighting. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. that and you listen it, uh, that theory or that that sort of that philosophy certainly doesn't reward people who are dumb. It doesn't reward people who are not doing this job well because you're just going to be. Yeah. And we see it in every sport, mediocre teams year after year after year. Um, so I mean, you don't want to be stuck with a fighting GM or you know owner or coach under those circumstances, but yeah, philosophically it's, it's, it's offensive. Uh, it's, it's just, it's right. It's, it's sick. Um, and you know, the fact that it works, it works sometimes. I don't argue it doesn't really work, but it works enough that you can say, Hey, look, 
the Houston Astros have been, forget the fact that they cheated, cheated you know, as yeah. well, but the I mean, let's pretend cheated, yeah. they didn't, um, you know, okay. So they got, they got competitive, they got terrible and then they got competitive. Um, you know, and other, you know, the Cubs had uh, well, five years, I think straight of playoffs or whatever. And, you know, they did win once and, you know, supposed to be more, but Hey, they did it. They brokered all Cub fans can all, you know, die happy now. You know, it's, it's wonderful. Okay. Uh, but look what it took to get. It's easy to forget, but look what it took to get here. And the fact that the White Sox, at least in this case, it's sort of a, a fairly compressed, if we're even to pretend there's a competitive window, it's still going to be open through most of the, the 2020s. And let's say things do get better even this season. Um, okay, you know, that's something you can withstand. And you can sort of just turn your nose up at it and say, okay, I didn't want to have to do this, but... All right, we did like the the least painful version of a teardown rebuild. Right. Okay, uh, the idea that there are no guarantees, and we're seeing it with the White Sox right now, there's no guarantees. Doing this gets you anything, but maybe a a, a couple highlight seasons, you know, maybe a, a couple league awards, a couple playoff uh, situations, you know, like sort of one and done. I mean, and it can be worse than that. So the idea that you're going to go in eyes just completely wide open and say, you know what? We're going to just run into a brick wall season after season. That's ugly. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like there, there's two things, two of the points that you made, like the one about, I, I feel like there's not enough of an acknowledgement that tanking does not necessarily lead to future success. That just because you say we're going to lose, we're going to get high draft yep. picks and we're going to develop young players that it's going to work. Like, you know, that works really well in franchise mode and Madden or MVP <laughs> baseball or whatever video game you want. MVP baseball hasn't existed in 15 years, but whatever. But like it, it works in video games a hell of a lot. It's a lot easier there than it is in real life. I mean, there are plenty of hockey teams, like every hockey team that I, I've looked at that, like kind of uh, actively tanked and traded away players, like all of them are still not very good. Like the best team is the Toronto Maple Leafs who keep getting knocked out <laughs> in the first round of the playoffs right. every year. <laughs> You know, and like, you know, the the Oilers got four number one draft picks in a row and they have two the best player in the world and maybe the number three, four ish guy. And also haven't won. They got to the conference finals finally and got destroyed. Mm -hmm. So it's an um, and I, I think baseball and hockey are similar in that, you know, you can't really just ride one guy like, you know, baseball. You have to bat all nine. You got to start all five pitchers. Then you got to use your bullpen. It's not like the NBA where you can really, mm -hmm. you know, you get one guy that can really. Uh, transcend your entire franchise. You know, if you get LeBron James, that's going to be a pretty good thing for your ba uh, for your basketball franchise. Yeah. In baseball and hockey, you need so much more of a team. And just tr trying to assemble all of those pieces at one time just seems like such a Herculean task that I don't like. I don't. I, I'm never going to like it, even if it works. Mm -hmm. I'm still not going to like it, but. Yeah, and I'll admit ignorance of what hockey is doing. Baseball's just now emb embraced uh, a lottery, so you're not even going to be like basketball. It's like how tank, how does tanking work, and how can it possibly work in basketball when you know there's there's whatever 15 uh, ping pong balls in the hopper. Mm -hmm. and you, I mean, you come now. Baseball's even done that. in the past. You could say, all right, you're bad enough. You're going to get that number one. It's guaranteed. It's by record. You can get yeah. four in a row, no sweat. Uh, even baseball's not even not even going to be doing that any longer. So it makes this whole idea. Uh, even sketchier, but yeah, just, you know, I mean, it makes me sound very garrulous and, and grumpy and old, but I, it just, it's nasty and disgusting and I hate it. And the fact that the White Sox did it and, you know, I can say, I told you so because it, it hasn't uh, brought success yet, but say, okay, they win a world series. I'm not going to be angry about it. Like, oh man, no, they got here. Yeah. I'll, I'll, still, I'll gladly reap the rewards if they show up, but if not, you know, 
then we could complain for the rest of our fan lives. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because that's how long the next rebuild's going to take. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the, uh, I, I just, I, and I worry that the Cubs set an unrealistic expectation again because of the executive they had running the ship. Like the idea that he showed up, traded everyone away, they and they built everything back up, and then won a title. Like that's not how that usually works. Like yeah. the Blackhawks were miserable for a decade. The ESPN, I think in 2002, 2003, has called them the worst franchise in sports. And then they were sucked for two or three more years. Then they got Taves and Kane, and then they won a championship later. So it's just, it's not, I, I, and, and the road to success is so bumpy. And I think, and, and the other thing that comes up, it's, there's a lot of luck involved. And in, these are sports. They're still sports played by human beings. So many weird things can happen. Like the White Sox could still win the World Series this year. I'll admit, not optimistic about it. But uh, I think that goes back to the Rick Hahn seat at the table quote. Like, if you have a team that's at least good enough to get into the postseason every year, and then you never know what happens. You know, I, 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 I almost – that I, you were about to say something, so go right ahead. Well, I mean, oh, yeah. To that point, uh, the year the White Sox were supposed to go back to and win the World Series and won 90 games but because there were two teams with – better records in their own division didn't even mm-hmm. make the playoffs in 2006. Well, that year they had nine, seven more wins than the St. Louis Cardinals piloted by that, that nasty curmudgeon, uh, oh, Tony yeah. LaRussa, 83 <laughs> wins. St. Louis Cardinals wins the world series. It's possible. Yeah. It's not likely. I, that's not the team I want, um, mm-hmm. to, to ride to the world series, but yeah, you're right. It can happen. All the white Sox have, they don't have to be a good team. They just have to be good enough to be better than the twins, uh, and, and Cleveland right now and make the playoffs. And then who knows? It's yeah. very unlikely they're going to take off, but yeah. in th- they, they got that seat at the table, right? Yeah. If you, you know, you have four or five guys catch a heater for a month, you can, you can be a world series champion at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it applies in a lot of postseasons. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like this is uh, an argument I've seen come up and I forget where, but it, it was comparing like with the Blackhawks after they won their third cup and haven't won a playoff series since, except for the qualifying round asterisk, whatever. Right. Um, it's like, would you rather have it? Would you rather have that third championship? Or would you sacrifice the championship to have like six or seven years where your team goes to the second or third round of the playoffs every year? That's a tough argument for me because, you know, banners fly forever, but like six or seven years where your team is like on the fringe of, of playoff comp or on the fringe mm-hmm. of championship com- contention or no playoffs at all. Yeah, I mean, you can liken it in baseball to uh, Atlanta Braves there in the 90s. I think won divisions 12 times in a row and won one world. It made, I didn't even make that many, but they only won one. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to argue that kind of campaign. You know, just you want to be in the mix. That's what I always took pride. I mean, I've definitely piped down these days as a White Sox fan, but in the past, I'd always been very proud of, hey, this team's competitive most every year. And there's something Mm -hmm. to be said for that. I mean, okay, you don't got to crow too loud about that but it's certainly better than just being loud you know that's that was one of the baits i'd have say with a cubs fan it's like just half the years you're losing 100 games and yes and then you get competitive <laughs> and then you may maybe even in the may, uh, playoffs more free, frequently in the white sides mm-hmm. but you can never know i, I don't want to just i don't want to have to sacrifice a whole summer of, of not watching the team because it's so so bad i want to know yeah. that they're in the mix every year and so I think it's a, you know, to say you're going to actually throw a championship away for that. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but it, yeah. it is a legitimate uh, uh, one side or the other. And there's almost no losing answer there because as right. much as we're sort of fattened up on, oh, come on, 
three cups in a decade. Oh, yeah, come I on. Know. This is, you know, geez, sure we can burn one. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the fact that the, the reward for losing that one is really being in the mix and being just a, a couple goals away, a couple moments away, a couple checks away from maybe getting to another Stanley Cup. That's pretty tempting. And and I definitely see the logic in, in maybe yeah. wanting that, uh, to, you know, despite the fact that the the, the cups or the, the banners fly forever. Yeah, like I, th- I think with, uh, you know, with the Blackhawk situation where like if, if they had after well they kind of did like after seven they got swept in 17 they they made three or four pretty big trades and kind of tried to reshape the the trajectory of the franchise and all they did was miss the playoffs for the next four seasons mm-hmm. again playoff season ex- or pandemic season exempted whatever but it's it's um I, I guess there's that there's that line between when it's like when you decide to blow it up like if the hawks had decided after the 17 season to really dest- just destroy everything you had 15 you won a cup you lose the playoffs first round 16 and 17 and if then they've blown it all up i imagine the fan base that'd be a little bit more palatable then because you just came off of three championship seasons um you really ran the well dry it was you know you were making you were taking your swings every year we're going to take two or three years try and uh, put it all back together and then you know we'll try uh get a championship again in five years or so uh but now like because they've been miserable for five years and i'm, I'm just trying to do the White Sox math in my head as as they were I was talking. They made the playoffs in 2012, right? Was that the last year? No, 2008. 2008. Okay, <laughs> so it was even it was even worse for the White Sox that there have been like eight years where they were they were at or around the playoff picture, and then they blew it all up. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's trying to, uh, if there was a time that would it, that uh, going the tanking rebuilding route would be less offensive to you. I would it have been if it had happened? Like, was 2016 like the right time for you, or I? Because I don't think there's a right time to tank ever, but there's. I can at least accept an argument that is less offensive at certain situations. Yeah, and you know, you're mentioning like you know, like blown it up right away after a third Stanley Cup, and I can only um, I can only imagine. Uh, that that would just when I mean I remember 2010 where it's like everybody knew all year that that team was not going to exist into the next season because oh, of yeah. the looming salary cap crunch. Mm-hmm. You knew it was just I would actually write articles with Comcast of like speculating on how they were actually going to solve this because it was a fun little thought exercise and it was something on people's minds, not knowing they'd win a Stanley Cup or even maybe you know uh, ad- advance around in the playoffs, but it was still this like sort of math puzzle or whatever. Um, and that was even controversy, uh, controversy. Oh, no, you know, yeah. Dustin Bufflin's got to go. Oh, why did they choose him instead of, you know, I mean, and these were <laughs> relatively, I think, pretty much to a one pretty minor uh, pieces overall. And yet still, that was like, you know, yeah. um, a hard attack inducing because it's like, well, wait, this is the core. When the White Sox won the World Series, uh, Ken Williams made the controversial decision to yes. uh, trade for uh, Jim Tomey and and it cost him uh, Aaron Rowan. And mm-hmm. on paper, that's a killer deal for the White Sox in spirit, in leadership, in breaking up this World Series core. Aaron Rowan was a real key guy. And, you know, there are people still who argue to the death the reason the White Sox didn't go back to the World Series or even get into the playoffs in 2006, despite winning a ton. And Jim told me being great on the South side is that, you know, they sort of messed with this, you know, this grinder industry or whatever. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the grinder ball died because now we got another yeah. big DH guy, you know? Uh, so 2016 being the time to do it, uh, you know, again, you know, in, in the- philosophically, no, never, but <laughs> I think the idea of, okay, do, 
Go one way or the other. Start really spending money and be and getting smart mm-hmm. about what you're doing. Or okay, let's maybe intentionally punt a little bit just to maybe position yourself to actually get a draft choice. The White Sox, looking back over the draft, you know, it's existed in in, in baseball since the mid late '60s. Uh, they've had one uh, number one overall draft choice in their history, and the guy didn't even sign with them. I think they had two or three, three and four draft choices. I mean, that's over now. 60 ish years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the White Sox traditionally don't even, you know, they don't play poorly enough to get a great draft choice anyhow. So, okay. I guess the attitude was let's, let's, let's try it. Um, you know, even the purists could say, all right, well, this isn't working. So try something else. Now trying something else would probably mean new manager, new GM, <laughs> new owner, maybe, uh, yeah, but no, uh, you know, given that that's not the wish list that was presented to us, yeah. um, you know, I guess it was like, okay, what the heck, let's try it. And, you know, listen, you can't argue with the results, you know, current 500 team notwithstanding, you can't argue with the results, you know, too badly. It has been uh, more successful than, than some. So, I mean, yeah. you could cry too much about it. That's true. Yeah. There, there's a bad, the fact that this is a, their rebuild, even with all the complaints of the season, that there's certainly ones that went a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, um, fingers crossed that the Blackhawks don't end up on that list. Uh, and then uh, coming back to a little closer to the present tense, I guess. And, and this is again, this is very this is a tricky thing to put a finger on. It's related to culture and mm-hmm. clubhouse environment and all these things. And like I'm I I think this is a very kind of a mysterious area. And I also think it's undersold, um, although I feel like the White Sox might be a good case study for it with the way <laughs> things have gone this year and, and the manager and all that. But is is there anything about the White Sox culture that was – or just the team culture that was formulated during those lean years that you think uh, is part of the reason why the rebuild was success, kind of successful or at least got them to the playoffs now and maybe something that we could watch for with the Blackhawks over the next few years? I don't know. I mean, the White Sox did not stay a course. You know, they they picked up um, Ricky Renneria as a bench coach under Robin Ventura, a guy who apparently mm. had a lifetime contract, unbeknownst to any of us, and, and certainly not deserving, <laughs> no offense to Robin, a Hall of Fame player, or should be. Um, you know, got him in sort of as a tryout because, okay, here's the next guy, right? Because the Cubs mm. hosed uh, Ricky Renneria and their rebuild when uh, Joe Madden became available. Okay, so Ricky Renneria comes over. Clearly, he's a guy who's really good with culture, terrific in the clubhouse. The players love him. He's perhaps even maybe too protective of his players. That might be a criticism. Um, and so, I, you know, so far my answer is just yes, 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 mm. yes. The problem is then when they're on the cusp, <laughs> it's a theory that's really for another podcast, but my theory is really when Tony Lewis was finally available ever since Ozzie Guillen, you know, was gone or left. Mm. Um, I think Reinsdorf's attitude was if he ever wants to manage my team again, because it breaks my heart that I fired him once uh, he can come back. And I think finally he decided to say, yeah, I want to come back. I don't care if you're going to um, in a very sort of nasty way, trash Ricky Renneria, who's built and grown with this team. I mean, again, in theory, the answer to your question is yes. There's a lot to be said about this cohesive culture, a team growing together, young players coming in, and maybe some veteran presence as well, whether imported mm-hmm. or, or the Patrick Canes of the world, um, sort of guiding this team to the new promised land to get back there. Um, and that can that can also, you know, even though you get a young head coach, I mean, it can still be, you know, that can be, that can actually work. We saw it on the South Side. Um, you know, that can work in the team's favor. Uh, but then when you decide just arbitrarily 
to completely change directions to the and in a in a move that no one understands. Uh, that really, I mean, that's sort of where the question has to end, or, or the answer has to end, because now it's just, I don't know what they want to claim or what it really is or how much they love Tony LaRusso, but whatever idea you might have of this, you know, like uh, culture, consistency, um, 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 team bonding, team chemistry, mm-hmm. I just, you know, I mean, the players will deny it, but I just do not see how, when you see how that's the way your team operates, that you can that that can really be a positive factor for you. And perhaps this year, I'm not claiming it, but perhaps this year, some of the step back is maybe even a, a, um, a delayed effect to what was just a ridiculous shock to the system in 2021 in hiring a guy that just really had no business on, on a dozen levels uh, being in a major league dugout, taking over this team under the circumstances. Uh, so the fact that they allowed that plane just to be hijacked uh, is it, you know, it, it, it means it, it's not a terribly relevant question to the Blackhawks, at least until, you, you know, if you're just willing to cut it off, say, in 2020, and if the Blackhawks uh, don't just decide to fire the coach cuz, because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever legendary coach is, is made available or the guy they fired once, uh, um, you know, decides he wants to come back. Um, yeah, if they bring back, uh, see Mike Keenan from the nineties. Yeah, I'm trying trying to think about <laughs> like, appropriate. I've been doing be. the same thing. I was trying to think. Like <laughs> my my initial thought is that like the grumpy old guy hockey coach would be John Tortorella after he gets fired in Philly in two or three years. But then I was trying to think if there's like a Blackhawks equivalent mm-hmm. of Tony Larusa and Mike Keenan's the best name I got. But I also don't. There's not like the ownership has changed hands. You know, it's it's still in the same family, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the owner from the eighties for the Blackhawks is not the same as the owner now, like mm-hmm. the White Sox. So there's yeah. not, uh, there's no bad feelings about Mike Keenan being let go. Yeah, Although, you could make, you could make a good comparison with uh, going from Ricky Renteria to Tony LaRusso, the Dennis Savard to Joel yeah. Quinville one. Yeah. That would be, that'd be a more accurate. Although obviously Quinville's tenure was a little bit more successful than LaRusso. So Oh, so far it's still going, yeah. oh, Dave. Yeah, so it's still far. going, unfortunately. Hey, and I hope I hope <laughs> that there's at least one World Series waiting because there, there's like there's there's so many good players on the White Sox. Like that's the thing with again, like coming back to the Blackhawks, like all all these young talent that the the White Sox have assembled and it grew up and like a lot of these guys are still fairly young. So mm-hmm. like there should be a good long window for a while. And that's like with the with the Blackhawks, like they one of their first round draft picks. If he had stayed, and I don't. I don't know if he stayed in high school or not, but he is the age of someone who just graduated high school. <laughs> and he, you want him, he, it's going to be a while before he can play professional hockey. So it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's going to be like two or three years of not much to watch and checking I, I, minor league scores and college yeah. hockey scores. You know, I, I think one thing that's appropriate for the, in terms of a parallel between the two teams as well is one thing that I think the Blackhawks don't have but still a way to get to a more successful point even three or four years in than the White Sox are in right now, is that Han, uh, as a GM, had an, uh, a bounty to sort of play with. We talked about Chris Sale and Jose Quintana and Adam Eaton. That was the trio of guys he traded off, and he did, to his credit, make excellent trades, guys who panned out and contributed. Mm-hmm. That is technically the core of the team now. It's a good third of the roster still now. Right. Uh, problem is Rick Han has done nothing 
else, even given that, it was like he was given $50 million just to play with. Literally, of course, he wasn't as the White Sox, but uh, <laughs> he turned those guys into, I mean, not all those trades have even technically paid off yet. The sale mm. trade is still about a draw. Okay, it projects to be in better. Uh, he's made, the problem is he's made so many other bad trades and he hasn't found any uh, hidden gems. He's basically a zero like war in baseball, at least. He's like a, mm. he's like a zero sum GM. And that's having come in with these enormous assets to begin with. He got a ton of Monopoly money to begin with, and yet mm. still the team is basically, it's a draw during his tenure. Uh, the Blackhawks don't have, I don't believe, I mean, Patrick Kane aside, I'm sure, and I'm sure that probably isn't even really appropriate uh, here, but they don't have this core, aside from the one trade already made, necessarily to turn into this enormous bounty a few years down the road. Right. But what would yeah. be better for the Blackhawks is if they have a GM who actually is good and clever enough to continue to just get the little edge in each deal, because long-term, yeah. that's going to be a lot better situation for them than having this incredible, oh, hey, wait, look what's under the Christmas tree. It's Chris Sale. Look what I can turn it into. To Han's credit, he did that, but he's done nothing since. And I think if you had to choose one or the other, you'd want just a solid GM who's going to find value pretty much with every transaction rather than being able right. to make a splash initially in the rebuild and say, wow, look look what we got coming. Because mm -hmm. now you're seeing it just petering on. And in fact, as much as you've said, the White Sox, you know, they've got really good players. Well, Unfortunately, we're seeing that maybe some of those players aren't, you know, aren't as good as we thought. And there's no faith in the GM to say, okay, he's going to turn, he's going to upgrade somehow. He's going to get somebody to take Eloy Jimenez, who's, you know, a, a, a DH, uh, and turn it into maybe a, a more dynamic five-tool player. There's no uh, faith in that. And if the Blackhawks do have a guy in position who can pull that off, and obviously that remains to be seen, yes, it's yes. way better long-term for the team. Because right now the White mm -hmm. Sox, they're, you know, they're treading water. We have no faith as fans that this team can improve beyond the, the few draft choices they get, maybe a lucky sign like you see this year, Johnny Cueto. But there's, you know, but then there's other guys who aren't penning out year after year after year. Incredible turkey signings that uh, Rick Hans made that just are mm. as good as the team's been and as 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 good as they've come out of this rebuild. They should be better. They should be a they should be a favorite and. You know, forget this 500 team. They should be a dominant team in the American League for some years to come. And they're just not that right now. So if the Blackhawks can get a guy who's clever enough, and if, if that's the guy, uh, that's going to be better, even though it may be a little bit slower climbing. It may take more than, say, the three years to get there. But you're yeah. building something that's more real, not, not when it comes to, hey, are we going to get that guy at the trade deadline? Or are we going to sign that guy over the summer? Oh, no, of course we're not. You know, he's not. <laughs> he's going to get to the table and then he's going to, you know, he's going to forget his fork. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that that would be a much, I mean, again, I don't know if that's the guy you got, but if you do, then that's going to be much better long term. I mean, unfortunately, still too many years down the road, but it's going to yeah. be a lot better run than this so-called mm. weird contention window the White Sox are in where, you know, it's dirty, it's closed already. I don't know what it is, but it's not working <laughs> the way it was supposed to work. Yeah. And I, I think what you said with the Blackhawks, like it's just it's it's such an unknown um, but but there's I mean there's going to be so many more transactions in the future. I mean they yeah. just signed, you know, in free agency they signed Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu and traded for Peter Morozik. And those three guys, the you hope that they play just well enough that they look appealing to some yep. team at the deadline next year. And then you have to probably win at least two of those trades, if not all three. Yep. And, and then you have to do that the year after that. And then you yep. have to win the trades at the draft. And just it's like this steady thing where you, you're the guy that has to have the best batting average on the team is the general manager yeah. more than anyone else. Yeah. And if it was, and if it's even, yeah, like you say, two out of three, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if it'd be two out of three, boy, the White Sox are in good shape. It's not two out of three. It's like really more often zero out of three. And that's, again, <laughs> starting with this enormous bounty. And that's just, that's heartrending because you don't necessarily see, I mean, the team won 93 games last year. They're okay. They're on track to be a 500 team now. But I mean, okay, let's say they mm-hmm. they, they 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 track upward and they come within, you know, six, seven wins of that this year. Uh, this is still a team that's got promise. It's just like, you don't have any faith that there's ever going to be that finishing kick because you've got a guy who just is not demonstrating uh, an ability you know, to to bring in the closers that are necessary, and you know, mm-hmm. again, if if the the Blackhawks GM situation is such that you can feel a little bit better that you are going to get um, two out of three wins every you know every year, every draft, every every free agent signing. Oh my God, you feel so much better about the fact that you're building a dynasty instead of what we're mm-hmm. feeling with the White Sox for now, which is okay. How how soon is this, how soon are they closing up shop? I mean, there was talk this year of whether this is going to be a team that sells and they're going to like yeah. like start uh, another rebuild. Which, by yeah. the way, you know, let's make an appointment now, three years, and you can check in with me on how <laughs> okay. your rebuild's going we will. as we embark on our own. Yeah. Because it, uh, it oh might boy. be a group therapy session by that point. <laughs> if, if we're do, if we're talking about a White Sox rebuild in three years, I'm going to be. <laughs> Like at least like at least baseball's in the summer where if the White Sox are bad, like there's other things to do. Uh-uh. If the Blackhawks oh, yeah. are bad, I mean, those winter, I mean, hope to God maybe the Bulls are still good, yeah. cuz <laughs> it's a cold winter without that without uh-huh. a good hockey team to watch. Yeah, yeah, winter lose bears, which is usually lose. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not gonna, that's that's, that's, I, that's why I didn't even vibes. bring them up. I don't even want to go down that road. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's only so much disappointment I can handle. I can Yeah, that's true. So all right, Brett. Well, the, the last thing I wanted to bring about and completely getting away from the topic of sports, because uh, I'm still trying to decide if I feel good, better or worse about the Blackhawks. I think I'm just more I feel like I have better things to better understanding what to keep an eye on. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, but uh, we, we like to claim on our Musings on Madison show, we like to dub ourselves the best hockey themed food, pa- hockey themed food podcast. Okay. I said there are no food themed hockey podcast. Okay. I also say that wrong every single time. Fair enough. But because uh, since you are out of the Chicagoland area, I won't disclose where you are unless you, you would wish to. Is there, do you have any food thoughts about where you are compared to the Chicago area? Is there something about where you live now that surprises you? Or is there a food down there that you have discovered that you are immensely uh, enamored with now? Oh man, that's a, t- I mean, I'm glad you got the name of this segment wrong because then when I give you the wrong answer, I can't be blamed <laughs> okay. for being so dumb. Okay. Um, well, I'm in Florida now. I can okay. be disclosed. I'm not, I didn't uh, want to tell uh, everyone where you I'm live. Not, you know, yeah. So I'm not on the lamb. Uh, you know, I didn't make a lot of friends on the beat, but I don't think they're, I don't think any are actually after me. And if they are, okay, well, they got another thing coming. Um, boy, I, oh God, I don't know. I mean, there's just this whole bunch of jokes to insert here. Um, you know, food or otherwise about this, uh, state I'm in, but, um, <laughs> no. And, you know, I'm a weird person to ask. I'm, um, I'm, uh, uh practicing, uh, vegan, which means, uh, sorry, people, you already listened long enough. We you have, can't shut it off now. It doesn't We have matter. a vegetarian <laughs> on our regular podcast. So we're, All right, fair. We've, heard, okay. we've heard, we've heard some, some, uh, uh, let's call them non-traditional food options. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, not down here, but certainly, you know, um, gosh, and all the and all the different like travels to 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 ballparks and and hockey arenas. There's always something. Fun. I mean, that's the fun thing about you know, say when we we're growing up as as kids and the limited you know options there were. And as much as it's great to smell the hot dog when you go into the ballpark, the the idea now that you you can pretty much walk in any park, even one in Florida, and you know that you've got this enormous array 
of, of options, be they traditional or not. And you can be mm-hmm. out in Seattle getting uh, sushi and you can be getting all the incredible fare uh, out in San Francisco. You know, Florida is not exactly dynamic in that sense. So, I mean, I think the easy thing to say would be there'd be some really cool, like, Seafood options here. That well, you yeah, I, I, my, that was my initial guess, but some some fish option that was interesting. In terms of something I will vouch for, I'm unable to do it. I will blame it on this segment being misidentified and being confused. But again, <laughs> when we talk in three years about okay. the Blackhawks rebuild, when you're reassuring me and encouraging me as uh, the White Sox with GM Rick Hahn uh, oh. undergoing another uh, rebuild. Um, I will have. I promise I'll have a better answer on that segment, whether you get the name okay. right or not. Okay, well, I'll, I'll be sure to remind you every year as we're going <laughs> going down this road. Um, but again, man, if we're, if we're three years and, and we're talking about a White Sox rebuild, like I, 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 I hope to God the Hawks are good then because that's that, that's a lot of months in the summer to fill up without anything to watch. Yeah, yeah. As much as there's plenty to do, as you point out, yeah, it's still sort of a bummer not to have that as a supplement to a winning baseball team to follow. Versus, oh my God, I gotta I gotta get to the beach again because I definitely don't <laughs> dare be near the TV. Oh, uh, oh no, evening, so. I gotta go to the beach again. Shucks. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, Brad. Well, you've had very generous with your time. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, as I'm talking, the White Sox are winning six to two. Oh my God! The rebuild, the, the rebuild's rebuild's back, off. baby. We're staying oh here. Oh my the God! It is back. <laughs> well, Sweet. Thank, yeah. Well, thanks again for your time, Brad. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. 